Amen. God is good. So this week I was just, uh, I've been stirred in my heart um, just to touch on a few things this morning um, and just maybe to uh, build on a little bit of last week. But uh, I wonder if you can just turn with me to Romans chapter 1. A quick uh, walk through the book of Romans. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, we're just touching a few things. Thank you, Jesus. You know, in, in um, Romans chapter 1, um, there's a, a beautiful two verses which just helps us understand uh, the gospel. It's the gospel in two verses, a beautiful um, synopsis. And it says, um, we're not ashamed of the gospel. There's this, there's this uh, stir right here telling us that what he's about to say might be a little bit scandalous, might be a little bit radical, might be a little bit wild, but we're not ashamed of what I'm about to say. Amen? Uh, so this isn't about somebody standing on a street corner, uh, and I'm not ashamed to stand up there on my box, whatever, and, and to preach. He's talking about, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And the word gospel, it simply means good news. He's about to tell us incredibly good news. Amen. So in these verses here, so if you go there, it's, it's verse 16 and 17. Uh, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So He's about to tell us now the scandalous, most amazing, beautiful, rich, uh, good news. And because it's good news, it's not just any news, it's good news. It really puts a smile on a believer's face. Amen. It's exciting. This is the key that he's talking about right now. I'm not ashamed to actually declare it and say it, and I'm going to say it. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the good news. It's the power of God for salvation. Amen. So this gospel, this good news is about salvation. Salvation from what? Well, it begins to give you a reality here. And simply put, let's just understand it like this as a church. Every single one of us, we have sin. And God has righteousness. Amen. And the only way that we can be acceptable and pleasing to God, the only way that we can be reconciled, the only way we can have a relationship with God is that we need righteousness. But we're sitting with sin and He's sitting with righteousness. So this amazing good news wants to tell us about salvation. Salvation out of our situation of separation from God, of no relationship with God, of going to hell for eternity and never being in a place where we can eternally walk and enjoy His presence, and who He is, and all He is, and as a father, and as, as, as a child with a father, enjoying the beauty of being a family, of being together, of enjoying the relationship of a father and a child. We're stuck here, and we've got sin, He's got righteousness, and the Bible says He brings this good news of the salvation that can get us out of this situation, and the next verse simply says, for in it, in the gospel, the good news, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. So he's telling us, yeah, this incredible good news is about how we can get out of our predicament. And it simply is this. We can get saved by receiving a righteousness by faith, for faith. 
Not something that you can earn, not something that you can deserve, not something that you have to work for, but it's a righteousness that is required so that I can be reconciled back to him, and it's by faith. Amen. And then he kind of reveals to us that the predicament, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, is trying to tell us our predicament, and our simple predicament is this, is that we have a problem with sin. We're stuck with sin, and we have a problem with justice, the wrath of God. The wages of sin is death. We, we are required to, to, have, to, to be judged and to be punished for our sin and the wrath of God to be poured out upon us, right? So this salvation requires that to be taken care of, and there's only one way that that can be taken care of, and His name is Jesus. Amen. Jesus righteousness is the same as God's righteousness. It's one and the same. So Christ comes and he dies for every single one of us that we can be, have an exchange that will take place that his righteousness and our righteousness, friends, that his righteousness becomes our righteousness and our sin becomes on him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let me give you, let me just give you the, the few scriptures that's helping. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, um, verse, let's just read from verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians chapter 3, we'll just read verses 8 and 9. Philippians chapter 3, where there's some light. Where is that there? Wrong scripture there. Because I'm in Ephesians. Lord, this miracle of my eyes needs to happen a little quicker so I can. Okay, let's just read. Verse 8 and 9. Uh, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Amen? 1 uh, Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse... Uh, 30, I think it is. It says there, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Amen. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, just scriptures so that we can go to, meditate on them, make sure this is entrenched in our lives. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when there's sin, then there's condemnation. Now we are no longer, we don't have sin. There's been an exchange. We now have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the simplicity of the gospel. Amen. 
Now this, friends, has been preached a lot to a whole lot of people, and they have become passive and blase about it. This, friends, is not some light little word. This is the most fantastic thing you will ever believe, receive, or ever have in your entire life. You were condemned to be punished, to be separated from God, to never again have a relationship with the living, amazing, wonderful God, and God supernaturally restored it back to you, and He didn't ask you to do a whole bunch of stuff. All He asked you to do was believe. It's a righteousness that's by faith, friends. That, friends, we should never get tired of. That should be the most exciting thing. Every time we sit together in church life, we should be celebrating. Because if it was just about me, I'm in big trouble. But because it's about Him, friends, I can stand up and be happy and glorious and victorious because of what He did. How many know that our contentment and our gloriousness is about the righteousness, not about whether you've got a whole bunch of money, not about whether you're doing well in life, not about even whether you're healthy? Come on. There's far too much of the church whose happiness and contentment, friends, is on something else. His happiness and contentment, is even, even when the demons were subject to the disciples, even when the miraculous signs and wonders were happening, he said, that's not where your joy should be. You should be content that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Friends, this righteousness is radical. It's massive, friends. That's the place where we have to start. Before we move on to anything else and, and get all down or sour or upset or whatever and blame God or this, that, and the other, understand that you and I are going to heaven because of Jesus Christ. Amen. Because of His righteousness and a simple belief in Him, it's not about what I'm doing and trying to earn it. Amen. And it's a righteousness that's by faith. Quickly go to uh, Romans, just flick over, go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, what then, verse 1, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works his wages are not, are not counted as a gift, but as his due. To the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whom lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Friends, there's first and foremost a, a clear definition and declaration here. Blessed is the man whose sins are not counted against him. Not blessed is the man who has got this and got that and, and, and this is happening there. Blessed, first and foremost, blessed is the man whose sins will never be counted against him. That's the blessing, friends. Blessing, it simply means a contentment. It means a confidence. It means a happiness in God. Friends, as the people of God, our happiness, our contentment in God must rest in that our sins will never be counted against us, that we have been forgiven, and that we have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. That's the contentment. That's the motivating, burning fire that's inside of every single one of us. Not what he's doing or not doing. 
The work was finished on the cross of Jesus Christ. And when I put my faith and my trust in Him, there should be incredible contentment and blessedness that's over my life. Amen. This the church needs to hear, friends. A lot of what we've been tethered to has got to do with what God is doing or not doing. We've got to let that thing go. Let it go, whatever, and get and hook ourselves into Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, friends. There isn't a sadness, a depression, a downness when we are in Christ. When we're in Christ, I am secure. My salvation can never be robbed from me. Amen. You can take away everything else, but you cannot take my salvation. And my salvation is where I'm content and happy because that's my security that I am eternally going to be in the presence of the Lord. Amen. That's kind of where we've got to stand from and, and, and walk from, friends. In this, just continuing Romans chapter 4, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after they had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as the seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. <laughs> Um, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised. We don't need to. So he goes on, Paul begins, and, and he uses Abraham as an example here about um, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? So he's trying to emphasize here incredible justification that the righteousness of God was given because of faith and not through anything that we do or any works. Amen? We've got that. We understand that, right? Okay, move quickly to James chapter 2. Let's just read from verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Okay. Now, have I confused you? Because those two portions of Scripture seem to contradict one another. Paul is telling us about the righteousness of God and about justification that is by faith and faith alone. And James comes along here and he says, Justification is not just by faith, but also by works. Well, we know that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. We know that there, every single scripture is there to support, to encourage, and to strengthen all, each other. Amen? And it's the Word of God, and He's not uh, double-minded. Amen? 
So now we have to go have a look at this and have an understanding of what James was actually trying to say here. Right? So when you study this, you realize that there is a faith, and the Bible says here, he uses it's three different types of faith. You'll see there in verse 17. So author, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So it describes a faith that is dead. Then it says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So there's a faith also that's a demon faith. And then you have a faith where it says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? There is a useless faith. So there is a dead faith, there is a demon faith, and there is a useless faith, friends. And what it's saying is that kind of faith will never cause you to be justified. What's his premise here of that kind of faith? What his premise here is that kind of faith doesn't have works. So when we understand Paul... Paul's coming from the reality that justification is by faith alone and that if you to be restored back into a relationship with Christ, back into righteousness, is totally by faith and nothing else. And his premise there is if you go to Romans chapter 14, verse 23, whatever is not of faith is sin. So if, it's, if whatever is not of faith is sin, friends, then when you get born again and God gives you the faith, Friends, it can't be on works because works will come from faith. So there's an immediate understanding that the, the justification comes by faith and by faith alone. So what is James trying to tell us? What he's trying to tell us, friends, is simply this, that the faith that causes justification, the faith that gives us the righteousness of God, friends, is stands alone to get justification, but it does not remain alone. That if it is that kind of faith, then you should see fruit and works. So saying this faith isn't just a standalone faith, it operates and flows through works. Not to cause our justification, but because we are justified. So the proof that you have been justified, the proof that you have been born again, the proof that you are righteousness, is there should be an outworking of works. There should be an action. There should be a development of the fruit of what the commitment that you made, if it is the faith of God. Otherwise, there is the other kind of faith, friends. If that's not happening, that's your fruit. That's the proof. That's why the Bible talks about 1 Peter chapter 1, I think it's verse 7, where it talks about the testing of the genuineness of your faith. How do you test the genuineness of your faith? The testing of it is to see that faith is producing something. Otherwise, the Bible says it's dead. It even says demon faith, friends, which is simply that, they, that even the demons believe. So if you have a cerebral understanding, if you just have an academic assent, even they believe. To just have an academic assent to something, friends, is still a dead faith. And it even goes to say it's useless. 
So this faith is living and it's active and causing us to outwork our salvation. I'm talking, this is the gospel now. I'm trying to explain to the church the gospel. There's a revelation understanding that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. If it wasn't for Christ, and when I put my faith and trust in Him, I am immediately uh, justified, just as I've never sinned. Uh, God has redeemed me and He's made me the righteousness of God, absolutely. But friends, that's where the church sits. And still we have huge debates about that area. We haven't even moved on from that area to simply say the journey is once I am that person, there should be fruit from that. There should be an outworking from that. Amen. Paul would kind of say it like this if he was in Romans. So you can just understand maybe a little bit. Um, no, let's not, let's not go to Romans. Let's go to, Paul would say it. In Galatians is a better, a better um, place to put it. Let me read it for you. Verse, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. How many know that when we're stuck in sin, we're not free, we are bound? How many know that when we're born again, when we're forgiven, that we become free? There's a freedom that Christ paid for us. But it says here, that you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Isn't this amazing? So now we get born again, we have the righteousness of God, and it's saying, now don't use this freedom to do what you want just for the flesh, and it doesn't matter now because Jesus has done it all. He's saying, no, you use this to serve this love to serve one another. Now, if you jump back a few verses in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, now we get an understanding when it says simply this. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Come on. Faith working through love. So now there's an understanding that I receive my righteousness by faith, and then, friends, that faith, is a faith that outworks love. It's a love faith. A faith that's alive, a faith that's Christ, is a love faith. And you can see it. Because if we jump back to James, let's just jump around the Bible a little bit. If we jump back to James, It says, you see that faith was active along with the works, and faith was completed by its works, and the scripture was fulfilled. This is verse 21 onwards. Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. He was called a friend of, of God. Um, so he was justified. Maybe just going up a little bit, it'll say. Verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he offered up uh, his son Isaac on the altar. Now, that's a story, obviously, about what happened in Genesis. If you go to Genesis, I think it's uh, chapter 21, 22, verse 21, around there, uh, 22, I think, chapter 22, verse 21, it says there, and God tested Abraham. What was God testing? His faith. He was testing his faith, and he was seeing what kind of faith it is. 
And you see now, you saw there that as he tested his faith, his faith produced in that he chose to offer up Isaac. See, so God, when we get born again, God then comes along and he actually tests our faith to see if it's genuine, to see if it's a genuine faith of God. If it's a genuine faith of God, it's producing and working through love. Are you with me? I'm jumping quickly for the sake of time through a few things. But both Paul and James use the example of Abraham. And both of them, if you read both those scriptures, both of them have the understanding that um, they believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. They believed that the righteousness of God came through faith and faith alone. Immediately after you had faith in Christ, you received the righteousness of God. It stands alone. But it is not just standing alone, because even Paul is saying, yeah, but faith working through love is what counts. Not circumcision, friends. There isn't a works thing that you need to add to this. It isn't now you've got faith and now you've got to add anything. It's a faith, friends, that stands alone for our righteousness, but it's a faith that's filled with love. It's a faith that's operating through love. Amen. And then James will come and tell you, yes, you can look and talk to me about faith, and I'll talk to you about works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Because this kind of faith in God is not some dead faith, it's not some useless faith, it's not some cerebral uh, academic faith. This is an outworking, uh, genuine, uh, uh, living reality of faith, friends, and it's love which is where the train comes into where the engine is faith or belief or trust in God and the coal is the hope in God and the carriages are love. This train, friends, is salvation. This is a reality that when I put my trust and my faith in Him and I receive His righteousness, the response of that is faith working through love. And that's why we have all these scriptures and that's why it's our vision and it's love lived out because that's the church. That's what the church is supposed to be doing and operating in, friends, is when we received Jesus Christ and he gave us faith to believe in him, put our trust in him, and we became the righteous of God. That is our security. That's who we are. That's our joy. That's our victory. That can never be taken from us. That is now a done deal. But that, friends, is outworking in our lives through love. We're beginning to love people, minister to people. It's a joy, friends. We now get people and minister for healing and for salvation and for deliverance. It's through love. It's not through my own selfish ambition, purposes, my own ministry, whatever. It's just simply through love because that's what the Bible says. Otherwise, it's not the faith that God gives. It's from faith, for faith. Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17, read it. It's the incredible good news of God. Amen. Or, oh me, but it's still... The Bible, amen. So when we get to scriptures like this, let me just stir the pot even more. 1 Peter chapter 4, if you just go there quickly, I'll just read it because I can, just to start there, say this. 1 Peter chapter 4, you can just read from verse uh, 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls 
to a faithful creator while doing good. Oh, we won't even go there this morning. But therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will. That's not in my Bible. Step back. Let's not even go there. All I want to say is for judgment begins at the household of God. In the context, of, I haven't got time to unwrap wrap it all. But in terms of the context, friends, there's a reality and understanding in the kingdom of God that, friends, our security, our faith, our hope, our confidence, our joy, our happiness, our everything is not rooted, friends, if everything is going well and we're not taking strain and everything is all right now and I've got enough money and I've got this and I've got that, friends, because there is the will of God that some will even suffer. It's got to be rooted in something else. Where is it rooted? It's rooted in the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That every single one of us, I celebrate that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Getting very quiet. There is a major lie in the body that simply says this. The acceptance of Christ passes all responsibility and accountability from the believer onto Jesus. So we get born again. Once we accept Christ, then all responsibility and accountability passes from the believer, from us, onto Jesus. What we have done is overemphasize the doctrine of justification by faith. And we have silenced the voice of God as the judge. And I've just tried to go painstakingly with a whole lot of scriptures for you to understand justification by faith. It is the most amazing, most wonderful doctrine. It's the most beautiful thing. It is unbelievably gorgeous, exciting, revelational, and I'm not ashamed to say that when I stand before Jesus one day, I ain't saying anything else except it's all because of you, Jesus. What gives you the right to enter into my heaven? Jesus. Nothing but Jesus. Because he's amazing, he's glorious, and he's beautiful. But when we get born again, and it's all about Jesus, friends, then we must not think that we, all the responsibility just comes off us now, and it just goes on to Jesus. Otherwise, I promise you, there is just no point to believers hanging around on this earth. Amen. Justification by faith delivers us from the fruitless struggle of trying to be good. It delivers us from religion and works and performance and earning our position and our identity with God. But it does not deliver us from responsibility and accountability. The concept of a believer once born again is, is responsible and accountable to God for the deeds done in the body while on the earth has been lost. Romans, let's just go quickly. Romans chapter 14, verse 12. Romans chapter 14, verse 12, simply says this. Simply says, so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, shooting back there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We just go to verse 10. It says this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. 
A Christian today has more concern about losing fellowship with one another than it has about doing what God's called them to do and having to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day for what they do. And in simple terms, I don't have it, I don't want to go into that whole doctrine this morning, but we know that the Bible talks about the great white throne of judgment. That's talking about salvation. That's where people will be accountable whether they've received Christ or haven't received Christ. We have received Christ, and our sins will not be held against us. There's another judgment seat, friends. That's called the judgment seat of Christ, and we will stand there, not for our sins, for salvation, but what we have done since we received this incredible gift of righteousness by faith. And we forget, we take off that accountability and responsibility that we're not going to stand before a judge, friends. We have been justified, we have been saved, but we are still on trial. Because we will stand before the judge one day. Why is the church so complacent, friends, when it's still going to stand before God one day and be held accountable for what it did, what we did with this incredible salvation? A salvation that we become so blase about that it's no problem. I can come to church whenever I feel like it. It doesn't matter that Christ paid a whole price for my life to be changed completely and my sins to be forgiven, that I may be called the righteousness of God, that my record might be cleared away totally as if I had never ever sinned. Come on, the five basics. In terms of the, the gospel, that settles the important thing. The first one, it settles the issue of sin. Justification by faith, it settles the issue of sin. We are forgiven. Number two, it settles the issue of salvation. We are saved. Our names are put in the Lamb's Book of Life and can never be removed. Number three, friends, our identity as sons and daughters, settled. Number four, settles the issue of our records. The records of our sin and our wrongdoings. Those records have been removed. There's not even a record of it anymore. Number five, reconciled to God and the Father, and access to His throne and relationship with Him. That's settled, friends. I now have confidence to boldly come before the throne room of God. I can come boldly before my Father. He Now I can call Him my Father. He is my Father. I'm His Son. I can come. I can have a relationship with Him. I can sit on His lap. All these things, friends, have been settled by justification by faith. But what these things do and cause in our lives, friends, we will stand before the Lord one day, before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, that should not be our motivation. I understand that, and I'm trying to cry out to the church today to say, that's not your motivation. Your motivation is what Jesus did, that we're righteous. It's glorious. It's beautiful. But that stirs up in my heart such a faith working through love. A Christian's life, once saved, once saved is lived in preparation for the next. If only we can understand this, friends. This is something the Holy Spirit has to drop into your heart, friends. Is I didn't deserve or earn this thing, but I got given salvation, friends. And once I was given salvation, my life as a saved son and a daughter of God, God is lived. How I live my life out now is in preparation for the next. You see, we take the thief on the cross and we use it as salvation, big picture. Thank God that the thief on the cross turned to Jesus Christ and called out and he got saved, friends, right before he went to be with the Lord. But the majority of believers don't get saved right before they go to be with the Lord. They get saved years and years before. And what they do with their salvation, this incredible gift, friends, counts. 
You see, we forget that as believers, our journey still involves the testing of our faith. And the preparation, the bride is making herself ready. Friends, just think about it now. Just, just use, just, just sit and just say, okay, let me take all my religious stuff out the way, all, my, all the other stuff. Let's move the rubble. Let me just sit there and think consciously for one single moment and ask yourself this question. Surely we understand that our Father has a great interest in what we do with this new life and nature he has given us. Surely. Surely our Father has an interest in this incredible gift, this lavish gift that costs his son his life. Surely he has an interest what we do with that gift. Surely he will be testing our obedience to the word our faithfulness, what we do with our time, our gifts, our opportunities, and our possessions. Surely. Surely we cannot sit there and say, why do you give so much time to God? Why is your life all about God? Because I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account of this incredible gift that you've given me. And I'm going to say before him, yeah, well, it was an all right gift. Hey, I did my thing. I went once a week. Hey, no, listen, I was radical. I went twice a week. I also went to home group. Surely it causes us to raise the question about how I value this gift. And if you want more scriptures and all of that, church, please go to Matthew chapter 25. It'll tell you about the parable of the talents. It'll tell you about a man that's going to go off to a far country and distributes his property. And when he distributes his properties, he gives five, uh, uh, ten, five, and, or five, two, and one. And when he comes back to hold an account of that which he was given, then the five had made five, and the two had made two. Friends, and he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. You've been faithful and little. I'm going to give you much. What he did, what he was faithful with determined the, the much. What we're responsible for in our journey, friends, will determine how much God gives us. What happens with a guy that does nothing, friends? The first key in all of that is simply said, I knew you to be a severe man. He did not know God. That's the first problem with why he hid his talents and why he did nothing with it. He did not know God. There are far too many people in the church today that do not know God and are hiding their talents. And the deeds they will give an account for, friends, are wood, hay, and stubble, and they will get into the kingdom of God by the skin of their teeth. I don't even know what that means. Because I, I can't find skin on my teeth. I don't know what that is. But skin of the teeth obviously means it's really thin. You got in, whoa, right? I don't even want to know what that means. I just, I don't want to be there. What I want to be is somewhere where actually I can understand the principle that God's entrusted something to me and I need to be faithful. What does good and faithful mean? 
Amen. You can go to Luke chapter 19. It will tell you about the story, the parable of the miners. Where he, he's, he's actually, interestingly, this is about a nobleman who's going to fetch and get a kingdom. And he's going to bring it back. And he gives them each a miner. And then the first miner says, I got 10 more. And he says, well done, whatever. Now I will entrust to you 10 cities. And then the one that just hit us, it's the same again. He says, I knew you to be a, a hard man, severe man. Again, he, not knowing who the father was. We've been on a journey talking about knowing God is believing him. It's about knowing him. It's about encountering him. It's about waiting on the Lord to actually understand and know and have a relationship with God. When we have a relationship with God, we know, friends, then we take that which he has given us. And because we know him, friends, we want to multiply that. We want this faith to be outworked through love. We want our lives to be a signboard of the love of God. We want to demonstrate. We want to live for him all the time. It's my life, my breath, who I am. The things of this earth, friends, are no longer a distraction because they're not real. As we sang and Connor shared this morning, they're not actually real, friends. We're allowing the enemy to lie to us. There is a truth, and his name is Jesus Christ. The rest is a lie. If we can only understand this, we can sit there in our lack, friends, and make, and make it so real. That causes us to be depressed and tether ourselves and be down, friends. And, and we can't even be happy that we're actually born again and that there's righteousness given to us as a free gift, friends. Or we can actually not make that real, but I can make my righteousness real. And because I am the righteous of God in Christ Jesus, I've been given everything of life and godliness, friends. Where I can now, that faith which he gave me, I didn't even earn it to deserve it. He gave it to me. He chose me. I didn't choose him, friends. This incredible predestination doctrine of being chosen by God, I'm chosen by him, given this faith, and this faith inside of it, friends, it, although its faith stands alone for justification, it never remains alone, but it, also, it now works through love. I've been saved by grace, but it is through this faith, this faith. Yes, it's all God. It's totally grace. He did it all, but it's through this faith. And this faith, friends, does not stand alone. This faith works through love. So we stir up our hearts, friends, again, as a church, as a people of God. Not sitting here, friends, just trying to be blessed when the Bible says we are blessed because he's no longer counting our sins against us. We are blessed because our name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We are blessed, friends, because we've just been restored back into a relationship with him. We are blessed because we've been forgiven. We are blessed. And as a blessed child of God, this faith inside of me is working. And it's causing me to love. And that's why we can read there and James can talk about you look and you see your brother who's in need and he's cold and you say, peace, be go with you, my brother. 
Friends, that's not the faith. The faith in the Bible says, go and find your best jersey and go give it to your brother and say, what else do you need? up now that's getting too exciting why am I stirring this up friends and what I'm stirring up friends is that for in the church today and, and not at 24 7 but other churches <laughs> we've got a whole lot of people that are really down a whole lot of people that are struggling a whole lot of people that are asking questions and I'm going Let's, can we just get back to the doctrine of justification by faith first? Do you know that every one of your records of your life, of your sin, your sinful, messed up, kakalak's life? I don't even know if that's a rude word, but I'm just saying it anyway. Friends, has been removed. And when Jesus looks at you, he sees nothing but purity. Nothing but holiness, nothing but righteousness, the same righteousness that he has. That is so radical, that's so wonderful. You go, whoa. And that, that sin that so easily entangles me, that even today and tomorrow, the things that I do, Christ once and for all, died for all of that. Every record, everything that I will ever do, past, present, and future, he died on the cross. He broke from outside eternity, came into uh, time, friends, and he died for all of that. Gone, finished, never again. Friends, that's so radical, you want to go, whoa! And that... It's where we live and breathe and have our being from. Everything else, friends, is just a byproduct. And from that place, friends, I'm not sitting there asking myself the questions. Well, let me just pray about it and see, does the Lord want me to give this brother the jersey? I just bought that jersey last week. It's a beautiful jersey. It looks good on me. It's a nice color. It makes my eyes shine. The reality is, friends, I've come in from a place where, man, I'm finished. I'm undone by the beauty and the love and the grace of God. I'm like, this overwhelms me. I don't really care. Whether I have a massive bank account, I don't have a massive bank account, I have a whole bunch of stuff, I don't have a whole bunch of stuff. I'm done. Jesus is so amazing. He's so wonderful that all I want to do is say, what do you want for today? And I just live my life knowing and walking what he wants through me, friends. Friends, that's the gospel. And this faith that caused me to be born again, this faith that gave me the righteousness is a faith that's working through love. Because man, suddenly I love people. Friends, you can sit right now in South Africa, you can sit in the traffic, you can sit in your job, you can sit in all different places, and man, if anything is not rooted in Christ, friends, if it's rooted in your situation, rooted in circumstances, what's happening, man, you can get yourself very frustrated, very irritated, very out of love. Those idiots, what they did, now you see, I have to pay the price. Innocent. But I'm not innocent, friends. It's because of his love, because of his grace that I can stand without a blemish on my record. And I say, that's enough for me. I don't want to judge anybody. I didn't even get to those scriptures. I just want to love people. And I want to do whatever God's calling me to do in that situation, I don't want to become God to anybody. I want to do whatever God's called me to be. 
That's why I want to take, encourage every single one of you to stay in your identity and who you are. Don't get pulled in other places. Sometimes we step in and try to be God. Sometimes we get into circumstance situations and try and be God to people and rescue them out of a situation that God's trying to work in. Amen? This isn't a plea for you now to be Santa Claus. Right? Because he's a poor substitute, Santa Claus. Because most of the time with Santa Claus, have you been good? Most of the time when you become Santa Claus, there's a look in you go, I don't know if he deserves it. He looks like he uses the money for alcohol. I don't think he's been very good. Has he been off? Have you stopped? How long have you been off? Okay, no, you can have. Yeah, five rand. Let me see. Go buy the bread. Yes. Oh, no, go to the bottle store. Go buy the bread. That's a very religious Christian. A Christian that simply yielded to the Holy Spirit says, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? I want you to give him some money, then give him some money. I want you to give him a jersey. No. I want you to do whatever that we listen to the Holy Spirit. But our lives demonstrate love. That's who we are. Friends, the challenge in the Bible is simply saying to us, if it's not demonstrating that, well, maybe we've got a challenge. Ask yourself the question, why isn't it? Is this thing alive in my heart? What's blocking the incredible flow? And I want to end this morning, where's Celeste? Do you want to come and share? I want to end this morning with a testimony. I think it's a lovely testimony. I think it's a testimony about the love of God. It's a testimony about Holy Spirit leading. And I, I, if you don't mind, is that right? And I'm causing you on the spot. Yeah, I mean, she's now walking to the front. <laughs> and I'm, all I'm saying, I just want Celestia to share this. It's just listening to Holy Spirit and what actually she encountered and experienced and the privilege that she, she got as a daughter of God. Hello everyone. On um, Wednesday this week, last week, I um, got into my car at about half past two. I had two hours free. And um, usually when I get into the car, I say, okay, Holy Spirit, what are we going to do today? Where are we going to go? And I, um, I just felt a nudge and say, go to Hyde Park, exclusive book. But I only had two hours and it's quite far. So I was like, nah, let's just go to Hobart Center. That's a new W zero. <laughs> anyway, I get there and it's so busy and it's just this nudge in me, Holy Spirit saying, go to Hyde Park. And my favorite bookshop is there. I just love reading books. I just love getting lost in a bunch of books. So when I got there, I did that. Got some books out and I'm sitting with my coffee, just reading. And um, just talking to Holy Spirit about what I'm seeing in the books and what I want to do and just dreaming. And while I'm doing that, I just felt someone very powerful just walk into the room. And it led me to look up. And I saw the military guards or security in front of me. And I couldn't see who was in the room. And so I'm looking over my shoulder and um, there's some more bodyguards. And um, I got a bit afraid because I don't really deal well with guns and uh, all that. But eventually I realized that the president was just walking in the aisles um, and he was just looking at books. So um, I felt Holy Spirit say, um, you were born for such a time as this. 
And I said, oh, what are you saying? And I straight away felt I had to get up and go introduce myself. And just, I wanted to honor him and bless him. Um, a lot of people walked up to him and just introduced themselves. A lot of people wanted to take selfies with their cell phones. <laughs> and they were quite rude. And a lot of people there also just ridiculed him. Like, he was standing there and just, he, he was being slandered. And um, while this is happening, I'm going, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? How must I go up to him? I just want to bless him and pray for him and love him. Um, and, you know, so often Holy Spirit is with us in that internal thing that's going on. <laughs> I don't know if any of you ever have that. <laughs> but you like just listening and just obeying and just wanting to cultivate relationship with him and not wanting to do anything wrong. So I said, I'm going to pack all my books away. And if he's still in the shop, when I've done that, I'm going to go up and I'm going to introduce myself. So I did that. And he left. And so I thought, oh, my gosh, I just blew my chance. I didn't listen. <laughs> um, anyway, um, God was still speaking to me, and I went and I bought some hair conditioner in a shop. And then the following shop next to the hair salon was a flower shop, and a new batch of proteas just arrived. And I felt Holy Spirit say, buy a protea. And I bought one for 30 rand, and um, now I'm walking to the car. And on my way to the car, um, the president was in a shoe shop. And I felt him say, go give this to the president. So now I'm shaking, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Am I really going to do this? Um, but I... I spoke to his security um, next to him, and I said, please, can I give the president this flower? And he said, yes, you can. So he was paying for shoes at the cashier, and I tapped him on his shoulder, and I said, um, hello, Mr. President. <laughs> um, it's me. <laughs> yeah. No, I said, um, here's a protea for you. Today, I just want to honor you. I want to thank you for everything you're doing for our country. I want to bless you, and I want to just know that you are being prayed for, and we honor you, and I honor you. It's such just a blessing to meet you. And um, two ladies at that time came into the shop and started to take photos and interrupted our conversation. Um, after that, he said to me, why don't you take a selfie? So I said... I don't, my, my phone was flat, my battery died, so I couldn't do it. So he said, well, write down your name and your number. I'll take a photo for the two of us, and I'll send you the photo. <laughs> and I was just so honored. And then as I was about to leave, he said, um, please, will you hug me? And I was so moved by this because as I hugged him, I just released Jesus. I just released kingdom. I just released love and blessing. Um, it was just such an honor to meet them. And I think just cultivating Holy Spirit friendship every day, it's just, it leads you to the most beautiful places, to the most unexpected places, meeting the most beautiful people. I just want to encourage you to journey with Holy Spirit and to cultivate and just to listen.
know what I love about that? What I love about that is that I don't really care what your political affiliations are, and I don't really care what you think. At the end of the day, he is the president, and God loves him. And she got the opportunity to love him and to show and demonstrate the love of God to him. And just the reality of what we might never understand is he goes into shops and he's got a whole bunch of people slandering him all the time. And some person comes along and says, I want to bless you. I want to tell you that we're praying for you. Can you imagine what that does to his heart? Friends, how do you win somebody? Through love. Amen. And Holy Spirit, if you, if you go through that story, the number of opportunities and times things could have been missed and how Holy Spirit was doing it. Just the mere fact that she was in the shop. The mere fact that she actually went down to go buy a conditioner that happened to be next door to a flower shop. The mere that she bought a flower. And she happened to walk past that very shop where he's buying shoes. And then tap the president on the shoulder. He might just say, step back. <laughs> to him to respond and to be for, for Celeste to be able to bless him. I just think it's an absolute privilege that we as children of God get to encounter presidents and people. Amen. And God uses us to do amazing things. Amen. So shall we stand this morning? I want just Celeste to just pray. Just release over us. Because um, in light of all that I've shared, I simply want to just encourage you. If anything in my heart is not to judge anybody or to nail anybody, it's simply to motivate us. It's simply to stir up our hearts. Simply to say we have such a privilege as a church at this time to do amazing things, to be above, not beneath, to not be tethered, but to be flying. Let the breath of God, let Holy Spirit inflate you so that you can soar above, so that you can have the eyes of an eagle, so that you can see things from a different perspective and view, so that you can meet presidents and love them regardless of whatever they stand for. Amen. So that's right. Just open your hearts right now. Just We're going to just pray. Say, God, at this time, it's a divine appointed time for us as the people of God. Nothing else matters except faith working through love. Just lift up your hands this morning. Lord, I thank you for your sons and daughters. I thank you for your beautiful bride. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll come and rest upon us this morning. Thank you for the beautiful word that has gone out this morning. Lord, will you enable us? Will you enable us to walk with you? Will you enable us to cultivate friendship with your Holy Spirit? Will you empower us and rest upon us, Lord, so that we may walk with you, so that we may bring the kingdom of heaven into every area on earth, into the kingdoms of this earth. I just release that, Lord. Thank you for all the beautiful opportunities every day for us as a bride to rise up and to take hold 
what you have for us. Holy Spirit, I pray you come. Just breathe upon your people. Breathe upon your people. I pray for encounters, deeper encounters. Lord, thank you that you see every small yes and every big yes. Thank you that you come into the mundane, everyday life. And you do the extraordinary. May your kingdom come. Your will be done. In our lives and our hearts and on the earth as it is in heaven. We love you, Jesus. Just begin to thank him for what he's going to do. In your own words. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in my life. Thank you, Lord, for being my friend. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for washing away my sins. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for setting up divine meetings, divine opportunities for your bride, for every person here. as we bring our time together as the family of God just to close this morning we may we know the love of God may we just know his love for us and that's enough When we know how much we loved, we can love. Thank you, Father, for loving us. Thank you for the privilege of being your children and for the privilege of the opportunities that you are going to open for us. The doors and the peoples, the people's lives that are going to come across our path. People of influence, people of authority, poor people, broken people, hurting people. All because we carry the love of God. Because all you want us to do is to douse them, pour over their lives, from their head to their toes, the love of God. And just let the love of God Break into their hearts, cause hardened hearts to be softened, cause miracles to happen, lives to be changed. What a joy.
What a privilege. What an honor. Thank you, Jesus. Pray for us as a church as we step into a whole new time and season of, of this church's next step in its journey, Lord. That you would just cause us to love one another and to become a greater, mightier army and family than we've ever been before. And to have a relationship with you like we've never had before, Lord. And we ask this in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And all the people said, Amen.